A significant piece of the U.S. energy infrastructure is hit by hackers, and the ripple effect will impact all Americans at the gas pump. But is this the wake-up call that will really make a difference? We discuss that next on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom. All right, welcome to the Cyber24 podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. I'm Marty Carpenter of 24-9. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations. And I'm joined today by the none, none other than Mike Hussey, Director of Services for the Utah Department of Technology Services and the former executive director of the same organization. Mike, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Absolutely. Thank you, Marty, for having me on the show today. I always enjoy our time together and love talking about this great topic. Hey, our topic this week, as I mentioned in the open, the colonial pipeline attack. Until just these past few days, it is quite probable that you had never heard of the colonial pipeline. You would not be alone in that. I had never heard of the colonial pipeline. Here's what it is. It's a 5,500 mile system of pipes that moves 100 million gallons of fuel each day from Texas to New Jersey. That's roughly 45% of all the fuel consumed in that region flows through these pipes at some point. Uh, the AP reported that this particular attack was an attempt by a group called Dark side. So, Mike, let's start here. What do we know about the attack and what do we know about the attackers? What we know about the attack is that it was a ransomware attack, that uh, these bad actors, uh, there, there's a lot of speculation that they're Russian based and it seems likely that they are from everything I can tell and some of the information I've heard about these folks. Bad actors uh, launching their uh, spyware into into the ether and happen to land, maybe targeted, maybe untargeted, maybe just happenstance, with Colonial Pipeline. And uh, we're able to compromise many of their systems. And then, of course, just as ransomware does a very good job of doing, it spreads like a virus. Uh, we're in a pandemic era. We understand what that's like. And it just spread rampant throughout their organization shutting down systems that were controlled this pipeline. Yes, it's, uh, I heard, read somewhere that 50 million Americans are, are affected by this pipeline going up the East Coast and, uh, yeah, disrupting their lives. Now, the, how it landed there exactly uh, was it something that came through a, a payload that came through email and uh, in an inadvertent mouse click or maybe an, uh, a not-too-savvy eye clicked on something they shouldn't have and uh, maybe they had administrative rights on the computer. A lot of that's still unknown and will yet to come out. Uh, we've had some some very minor briefings on what's got going on, but uh, they're in, we're in the throes of it now, and we'll probably get a little more information. But one thing is for sure, it was ransomware. And interestingly, these bad actors, they actually sell their work to other bad actors. So they do a great job of creating these payloads and dropping into email systems or on websites, and they sell this to other bad actors. So they're really monetizing their efforts just about any way they can. But but that's what we know right now is that, yes, it came in through ransomware onto these machines and uh, locked up the machines and demanding a lot of money. And, uh, and it's interesting because uh, we really don't know exactly how it got on there. But just like we use our computers every day, it's, it's likely that it came in just with, with any other email. 
That brings up an interesting question and maybe one that's more salacious than actually informative. But as they do the digital forensics on this and unwind this once they get the system back up and running, will they likely be able to figure out exactly who or if it's multiple people who made the same mistake? Will they be able to say, hey, look, these are the 20 people or, you know, heaven forbid for one poor guy. Hey, it was John in accounting or, you know, Fred and <laughs> Fred in payroll or whatever, who clicked on the link and that's what caused it. And, you know, if you think that might be you, how much are you sweating that right now if they can find that out? There may be a very nervous employee at Colonial Pipeline right now. Uh, and oftentimes you can get to that kind of detail. Um, I remember one issue that we had at the state. Uh, we, were, we were seeing a lot of data going out the front door. Uh, we didn't know exactly what was going initially. We didn't know what was going on. We just saw that these servers were filling up. And it was uh, the bad actors doing some things. And so, unfortunately, some of our people purged some log data that would have been very valuable in the forensic investigation side of things. But they were just trying to, hey, something, the server's filled up. We've got to clear off some space. Of, of course, the first thing they cleared off was log data, which allowed uh, us to miss some of the uh, important information. I'm not sure if in the Colonial Pipeline issue yet if they had to go to that kind of effort, and they likely will have a lot of the data that will have the smoking gun pointing at some unfortunate employee or number of employees, and uh, that was the initial, oops, uh, I clicked on this. Well, now that the federal government's involved, you know, that person, uh, whoever he or she may be, has to worry that this will end with them testifying before Congress and having members of both parties put on a show just yelling at them to try to gain some political points. Uh, that's the thing that I think I'd be most concerned about, or maybe they'll find that entertaining. Who knows? So this group, Darkside, I've heard them described as a Robin Hood-type cyber gang. And that's because they try to, as Robin Hood would indicate, rob from the rich and give to the poor. They actually donate portions of what they steal to charities. I think that's uh, both amazing and also a remarkable uh, public relations and business plan that is very sophisticated for what you would think of as not a terribly sophisticated organization. But, you know, I'm starting to think they've got a website, they've got a philanthropic arm, <laughs> they've got a public relations uh, way of going about this, a strategy there. So uh, it, it just surprises me, I guess, and maybe it shouldn't, that they're that sophisticated, even so much that they went on to, to issue an apology of some sorts. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is interesting. These bad actors, they're very, uh, they're very organized. Uh, they're very the, – the, if you pay the ransom, they'll unlock your data. They're very, they, they know that if they start uh, acting like really, truly bad actors might, that they, then the, where's the reputation? So they, they want to continue to have their, their clients out on the Internet uh, that, be, that fall victim to their ploys. But, yes, they do have to be reputable. And so if you, even in, in paying for your data, if you buy your data back, they take it off. It's no longer for sale. And so there's a lot of uh, their reputation on the line. And so, yeah, they, they think, hey, we, got, we need a PR firm. We're going to donate some of our proceeds, if you can use that term, to uh, charitable organizations. Uh, you know, who knows what those things are? 
but they try to couch themselves as a a, a business, if you will, that that does this. Now I, I know there are actually some towns in Russia that that is their business is is hacking, and they that's what you know you, when the kids are going to kindergarten. Hey, what do you want to be when you go off? I, I want to be a hacker. You know, they they just kind of start with that mentality at that age, and they grow up into that space. And many of these folks are employed. Uh, with these hacking skills at, at a very young age. And it's just part of life in, in this town. So it, it is kind of a, a little bit of a, a hard to see from our side of the water, but it's really interesting how, yeah, that's, that's kind of how they do it. And, and they're, they, they feel very reputable in their efforts. Interesting that no matter where you go, everyone's trying to get kids involved in STEM, even if it's hacking uh, on the other side of the Atlantic. And I, I love this idea of sort of honor among thieves that right that they, their business success is somewhat dependent on having a reputation of they will pay if if or they they will give you back your data and unlock your data in your systems if you will pay. Uh, which is kind of interesting because in this instance, you know, no figure has been reported about how much ransom was demanded or if it was paid. I would say this, that usually if a company does not say that they uh, are not paying the ransom, that's a good indication that they are paying the ransom or at least they are negotiating to pay the ransom. But in this case, Mike, I thought it was interesting because the Associated Press reported that the attackers, not only is this a ransomware situation, but they actually stole data from the company. And, you know, this is often done, as I understand it, for extortion purposes. But can you help us understand a little bit why that is perhaps a bigger concern for the company than the actual ransom amount, this this data that was lost? You know, and, and that's, and again, going back to the reputation, uh, and let, let me just toss out a couple of numbers. It was interesting. I, I kind of noticed uh, we don't know the cost of their ransom yet, but we don't know what, if they paid it, if they haven't, where they are in the process. I know the FBI is involved. The FBI is very good at helping negotiate that ransom down. Um, I remember reading uh, a couple of years ago that the average uh, ransom paid was a uh, high 80s uh, or 180,000 uh, through to 2019. Last year, it was about more like 315,000. I can't remember the exact number. So you can see exponentially it's growing. The highest ask ever was about 15 million up until last year. It was now 30 million. So that you can see that they're doubling down on their efforts and they're knowing that this is lucrative. Now, if you can actually get that ransom and then say, hey, how can I sharpen my saw and exfiltrate data at the same time that I can then sell for maybe espionage purposes or, you know, there's there's a lot of corporate corporate issues at, at play here where now all of a sudden they have other data that that company may be willing to pay for. So when they get that foothold, they're not just going to lock your data. They're going to be looking at other ways of monetizing their efforts. And and yeah, hey, if, if Robin Hood has that much more money, just think the, all these charitable organizations benefit as well. So <laughs> it's, it's really unfortunate. How fortunate are we? I mean, it's it's a horrible situation, right? I mean, it's, it's a bad situation. It's a negative situation. But were we fortunate in some ways that this attack on the colonial pipeline, that the motive was money and not that someone was actually trying to cripple the fuel supply or at least allegedly not trying to cripple the fuel supply to the Northeast. And uh, it just seems like to some extent you have to count yourself fortunate uh, if you're the whole country, maybe not so much if you're colonial pipeline. 
Yeah, no, and you, you raise a good point. I guess if there's any silver lining in any of this, um, yeah, it, that, that wasn't their intent. And that was kind of what you alluded to earlier was the apology issued is, hey, we're not trying, we weren't trying to disrupt the, the oil pipeline issue to the eastern United States. We were just trying to monetize our efforts. Uh, you know, they can go through. It's lucrative. Their business is lucrative. They can repeat it. It's repeatable. What a great business model. Without the, the intent to uh, disrupt what they did, all of that critical infrastructure, uh, that was just kind of one of those byproducts. And, and, you know, oftentimes those bad actors, they're very bright people, but they sometimes don't consider all of their their efforts and what, it, what ramifications might bring. But yeah, and, and it was interesting that they did issue that apology. Uh, at the same time, they, they're, they're bad actors. They, they're, they, they're trying to extort a lot of money. They're trying to, uh, they may come back and ask for more money for that data that was siphoned off. Um, who knows? But uh, it, it really is unfortunate. And, and we as the consumers will probably be paying for the, a while for the, their efforts. All right, let's take a quick break. And uh, first, a reminder, Cyber24 presented each week by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. Back with more on the Cyber24 podcast presented by Valcom right after this. If you're looking for protection from uncontrolled access, Salto can deliver the perfect solution tailored to your exact requirements to provide you with all the security, convenience, and control you need. With Salto, you install access control in a wire-free environment, so there's no need to hardwire the building. Because Salto runs on a virtual network, you can enroll or replace a lost key within seconds, making reprogramming and rekeying a problem of the past. See how Salto can make your access control and building security simpler and safer at vlcmtech.com slash Salto. That's vlcmtech.com slash S-A-L-T-O. You've seen the headlines. Every 39 seconds, there's a new attempted cyber attack in the U.S. As the threat landscape becomes more complex, the need for security operations is greater than ever before. It's time to put experts in your corner. For something as important as your organization's security, having a named engineer and analyst paired with you is critical. Arctic Wolf is a leader in security operations, utilizing a cloud-native security analytics platform to deliver security operations as a concierge service. Arctic Wolf's Security Operations Center as a Service is always on guard with security experts monitoring your environments 24-7. Don't become the next headline. Learn more about Arctic Wolf's redefined cybersecurity approach at vlcmtech.com slash arcticwolf. That's vlcmtech.com slash arctic-wolf. Welcome back to the Cyber24 Podcast presented by Valcom. We continue our discussion with Mike Hussey from the Utah Department of Technology Services. Mike, the AP reported um, on Sunday, Colonial Pipeline said it is developing a system restart plan. Uh, <laughs> said its main pipeline efforts are offline, but smaller lines are now operational. Um, system restart plan. Uh we talk a lot about preparing for these and preventing these types of situations, but in, in preparing for them, uh, system restart plan seems like something they should, should have developed already. I mean, does that strike you as like, that's an indication that maybe they didn't have all of the preparations in place that they needed? 
Well, y- yes, I, I think you know you prepare for uh, you prepare for the worst, and you know what? As technology evolves, sometimes you don't go out and you refresh your coop plan as often as you should, and then all of a sudden you've moved on to maybe a cloud solution, and then you come back and they oh. We didn't anticipate something. And so that's why this is a good lesson for all of us to say, hey, you know, a good thing it didn't happen to us. Unfortunate it happened to Colonial Pipeline. But maybe the lesson I learned from this is to, to blow the dust off my coop plan every six months, take a look at it and see if is there things that need to be refreshed in that. Because you certainly don't want to be trying to figure it out while your hair's on fire, while your systems are locked up, while you're trying to restore things, and and you've got the nation eyeing you to look at your every little step that you're going to make and trying to figure out, yes, what is the right thing I should be doing? That should be thought out long in advance. Uh, you know, you can you that that coup plan and your communication strategy, your what how you're going to sustain uh, business operations. Um, we look at that. And we prioritize them at the state. We say, hey, look, first thing that needs to come up is this. The next thing is this, and we prioritize systems, and we have the resilience in those systems to allow us to come up so that hey, like number one thing for us, paychecks. No, I'm just kidding. And so we want to make sure that our financial systems are up. But yeah, maybe the highway patrol systems, you know, those life-saving kinds of things for our citizens need to be the number one priority. Paychecks maybe are way down on the list. But in any case, uh, we really want to make sure that those systems are are outlined in a coup plan that's reviewed often. And And technology is always changing. And so it just shows you how often you need to be blowing off the dust of that coup plan, not every five years or 10 years, but actually, you know, saying, hey, check the box. Yeah, I did my coup plan. But hey, let's let's review it all the time and make sure that anytime we're pivoting on technology that we refresh our coup plan. Well, you touch on that a little bit. So one, I want you to tell our audience uh, what you mean by a coup plan. And, and two, um, a simple question that with, a, I'm, sure, I'm sure, a very complex answer and maybe one that without all the information is impossible to answer. But what does it take to get back online after an attack like this? And then start with, you know, give us a definition, please. Uh, yeah, continuing operations. So, I, so sorry, COOP is uh, short for continuing operations, C-O-O-P. And uh, that just says, what do I need to do to continue operations at certain levels? And what are the order that I will bring systems up? And what's my what's my messaging going to be? And what's my uh, strategy going to be? And what if, uh, you know, I only had, I lost the primary site and I only had my, my secondary site. What are the kinds of things and the kinds of systems I need to bring in? And, and how am I going to gather uh, the employees? Where will the employees gather if this building is gone? You know, those kinds of things need to be spelled out in a continuing operations plan. And, and uh, yes, we, and actually we do tabletop exercises where we run through our coup plan where we say, look, this is what the highway patrol is going to do. This is what the Department of Technology Services is going to do. These are all of the groups coming together to go through that tabletop exercise and say, hey, did we think of everything? And then then scenarios are run through. Hey, we're going to uh, pretend an earthquake happened in Salt Lake City, Utah. And let's see what are the kinds of things that we would do to simulate an earthquake and to respond uh, in the best way possible to keep keep the citizens uh, as best we can. So there's that. And, and what was the second question you had, Marty? Uh, just what does it take to get back online after an attack like this? And it sounds like you want to sort of segment it and figure out where to start and work through it methodically. And I guess part of that is also you got to make sure that you've actually closed off the vulnerability 
before you start fixing it or you're going to get hit with ransomware right yeah, you, after. You, you may restore all your systems, get them working again, and then start standing up systems, and then boom, it goes down again. So, yes, you need to plug the hole. That's, you know, initial kind of the very initial thing you would do. But then also, you know, you might have – we have the luxury in the state of Utah where our governor can bring in National Guard and other systems. Uh, if you read about Texas, for instance, they had a large outage for a while. They brought in their National Guard to help start restoring systems where you're out trying to clean systems. Uh, the city of Atlanta, another good example, where the first thing they did was unplug the Ethernet cable from their computer. Say, wait, we, we can't contain this right now. We don't feel like we've plugged the hole. Now we need the, you know, every everybody that's able-bodied to go out and, and make sure that systems are clean before we start energizing those systems again and bringing them back online. And so it's really been interesting to watch. And so, yeah, it takes a Herculean effort. And I don't know if Colonial Pipeline has all of those assets just kind of sitting on the bench waiting for a disaster, but uh, they may be looking to private sector to help them out or to other folks in the private sector. Uh, maybe the FBI has resources that are bringing. I honestly don't know, but the, something with this magnitude, hopefully they are getting the help they need. Yeah, I'm going to guess that they have more federal help followed by federal regulators than they They might be grateful for the first wave, the second wave, maybe not so much, depending on how yes. this all shakes out. Yes. You know, I, I think about this, Mike, and, and a, a lot of people have said that this should serve as a wake-up call to the energy industry. Um, I would say that it should have serve as a wake-up call to all industries uh, and realize that uh, w what you need to be doing to, to be proactive in protecting yourself and, and protecting really the service that you provide to the public. But it's interesting to me because the story also moved on so quickly and it started out as there's been this big cyber attack and everyone kind of gets the who, what, when, where, why on that. And it quickly jumps to, and it's going to impact gas prices and all the attention goes to what's it going to do to gas prices. And certainly we, we can talk about that. But my question is, do you think anything will actually change, not just maybe in the energy industry, but uh, more broadly? Um, or is this just a wake-up call that we're going to miss again and we'll wait until the next so-called wake-up call? <laughs> you know, I think, I, you know, maybe I'm too optimistic about these things, but I do think that when something like this occurs, that everybody is kind of eyeing like, Ooh, how did the bad guys get in? How did they get their foothold? What did they do? And did, and all of a sudden, the awareness is higher in 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 all industries. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the, the utility industry, for instance. They're they're very heightened on their, what they're looking at. But what about the rest of business out there? And yes, I think everybody should take note that hey, we're we're eyeing what's what unfortunately happened to one of our friends. But how do we respond accordingly? And, you know, I always there's that old adage, don't let a good crisis go to waste. This is certainly a good opportunity to kind of look at your cyber hygiene within your organization. Take a step back. And as more unfolds on the story for Colonial Pipeline, people will take that back and say, hey, look, we need to start locking this down or we still need to lock that down. And it maybe it frees up resources in some in some businesses to say, hey, look, it's about time that we noted that, hey, we have a, 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 a glaring hole in our systems right here. and We've never been able to get it taken care of. Now is the time or we might find ourselves in that same boat. So it really is unfortunate that it happened to them. But at the same time, the industry should learn, yeah, this is this is out there and this is how, how you need to plug those holes. 
Initial reports said that gas prices shouldn't be impacted if they could get this all back online pretty quickly. Um, it's been a couple of days and they're still, you know, not quite there. Um, oh. So gas prices already have surpassed three dollars per gallon on average nationwide for the first time in seven years. So I'll, I'll get you out of here on this, uh, and hopefully you've at least uh, taken a glance. But uh, my local gas station gas uh, was at three thirty-five today. Uh, that's about sixteen cents up since, uh, give or take, the time of uh, of this news breaking. Uh, have you seen something similar at your local station? Not that that's you know solid data, just anecdotal. But are you seeing the same thing where you're at? My scientific study says yes. Me driving to the gas station, yes. I am seeing the, the gas prices already starting to inch up. Now, I, I don't know if it's all attributed to uh, what's going on with Colonial Pipeline or, you know, the natural increase as we get into summer months and things are warming up. But certainly I'm seeing it trending up and probably a little steeper than I'm used to seeing. So, yeah, my my uh, scientific study says, yes, uh, this is affecting me in my pocketbook. Now, fuel prices, of course, are one of those things that don't just impact the price of fuel. Right. Everything needs fuel to get moved to where it's going. So that's yeah. your airline tickets. That's your food coming to the grocery store. Uh, it just trickles and trickles is probably the wrong term. It rushes. It's rushes the, rest of the yeah. economy. So yeah. Mike, I appreciate your insight on this. Uh, your expertise is always valuable to our audience and uh, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Oh, thank you having, for having me today, Marty. I always appreciate it. As we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. So whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. You can check them out at vlcm.com to learn more about Valcom's end-to-end -end solutions, the technology vendors they partner with, and so much more. That's vlcm.com. I also want to thank our supporting partners, Utah Department of Technology Services, Kem C. Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah, our friends at Secuvant, the Utah Attorney General's Office, and the Utah Department of Public Safety. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can follow us on Facebook as well. We'd love for you to hit us up in either place. Let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe online.